Hey, come on. You're going to disgrace me. You are. Going to disgrace me. Oh. Listen, I'm, I'm pretending to be a good daddy here. And you're going to disgrace me. I have a son now. It's a terrible feeling of responsibility in a way. It's something that you probably don't, again, think about consciously. But it is, um, it's an awesome sort of feeling. Did you ever visit the waiting room in a maternity hospital where fathers-to-be anxiously anticipate the birth of their sons or daughters? As they wait, they try to learn a new language. Not baby talk, but the language of fatherhood. I have a child. I love my child, I think. Even today, when many fathers are there at the birth, the transition to this new and compelling relationship can be filled with difficulties. Actually, it was really nice because uh, we were barely woke about, must have been about six that morning, and she says, I, I, think, uh, I think I'm actually going into labour, you know. And that was re I really got excited around that, that time, and uh, I got up and tidied up the place, and we, we had breakfast there, you know. And then we actually we went back to bed. We both got back into bed and we cuddled in. And it was really a warm feeling. And then much later in the day, about 12 o'clock, I took the day off from work. I didn't go into work. And uh, I got up and we made dinner. I had dinner. I made dinner and brought it up. And we waited until about 6 o'clock that evening. And we went to see our doctor, Paddy Ann McBride. And she said that Bernie was, I think, three or five minutes, centimetres dilated and... We went along to the hospital, straight to the hospital. And uh, I was present right through the birth. Uh, the nurses, the, the, everybody was generally really helpful. Uh, I was only asked to leave, I think, a few times when Bernie wanted a natural childbirth. Mm -hmm. But eventually uh, the pain was just too much for her, so she had an epidural. And uh, they were the times I was asked to leave. And then I came right back in, and uh, the birth was a lot was a long birth. Mm. And as I said, we were in about eight o'clock, and the actual Finn wasn't born until four o'clock that morning or something around that. And uh, it was a difficult birth also because uh, I had to, it was a forceps delivery. When eventually he was delivered, you know, it was just a tremendous feeling. Of, I don't know, it was such. Such a. Uh, I remember talking to a man afterwards actually about this feeling. I said it was just a, a tremendous feeling of love, of, of different love that I'd never felt before. But there was just this huge rush of emotion, of, of a bonding kind of. I was immediately. This was my child, you know, and this was going to be. I'd do anything for this person, you know. Farm life. Uh, I always associate her birth actually with the first crop of winter wheat I ever grew and uh, it was just emerging at the time she was born and we often laugh about this still but you're busy on the farm and uh, Jen went into hospital we reckon it takes up to 24 hours for a baby to be born so there was no hurry so I checked on the phone and the, with the hospital uh, I remember sort of sleeping near the phone that night and um, uh, eventually, when I went up, the the baby had been born. I, you know, I got word from the hospital and went up at that stage. Uh, never having had much to do with children, with babies prior to that, um, I was a little bit nervous 
when going to visit this baby. Uh, you know, I thought, how on earth do I pretend to my wife that I really like this thing? You know, I wasn't sure I was going to like it. But the amazing thing is, when you actually see your own child, when you pick it up, or her up in this case, uh, for some peculiar reason, a relationship does develop, and you find that really there's, there's more to this kid than meets the eye. And that uh, there is some sort of blood bond or whatever. It's, it's a funny thing. You, you, you build a sort of a defensive detachment uh, around yourself and I suppose lose yourself in observing what's going on in a very clinical sort of way you, you, you know you, you look at the implements that are being used um, and and so on and um, I don't think I was scared at any time I was anxious all the time until I saw the child that it was going to be a normal baby, right? That was the, the one thing that I, I, I really was anxious about, and I was anxious about that right up to when I saw him. But um, apart from that, uh, I don't think I was scared. Um, it was an, an amazing experience for me, really. I, I, it's very hard to describe the impression that it makes on you. But actually to see the child coming into the world um, and to be able to hold him a few minutes later was just a fantastic experience for me. When Laura was born, I, I, I was not allowed to be there at the actual moment of birth, but I was allowed in very shortly afterwards and I was actually the first to hold her. And that was a, a very special kind of experience as well. Um, but this time to be there when he was born was incredible. But not every man has such an unambiguous reaction to fatherhood. Take Danny Thomas, for instance, who had fallen in love with Deirdre, a married woman with two children. When she told him that she was having his child, his reactions were understandable. There was the excitement about the prospect of a new life coming into the world that I was associated with, because I had never been a father before, so this was exciting. However, I was unprepared for it. Uh, I knew that I had only nine months to prepare for the most momentous event in many ways in my life. Um, so there was a great degree of reflection, almost panic, you could say. How the hell am I going to cope with this? Because uh, I was about 23, I was still living at home. I wasn't very forthcoming about the nature of my relationship with Deirdre because I thought my my parents wouldn't understand. I mean, most people wouldn't really understand unless you get down and tell them about it. So I was exhilarated, excited, worried, anxious, panicked, the whole lot, the whole range of emotions. I was present at the birth. Um, um, Deirdre had requested that I, I attend, you know. And initially I was very reluctant, you know, because I had all these macho notions that guys shouldn't be attending birds, that they should be waiting in the pub for the phone call. So the phone call didn't come because Deirdre woke me up at three in the morning and says, it's time. So we drove into Hollis Street and uh, she announced that um, she wanted me to attend the bird. And this was where we first come across 
the hostility or opposition or the obstacles placed in the way of people who are not married with a gold ring around the finger. P pardons, for instance, in my case, I wasn't the husband of Deirdre, but I was clearly the father of the child, otherwise I wouldn't have been in Hollis Street at half five in the morning. However, um, Deirdre had to insist on a number of occasions that I attend the birth. Uh, that's in the process of the labour. I was kept in this room and then about five minutes before the baby arrived, I was ushered in and one of those masks was slapped onto my face and I was told to, you know, okay, hold on to her. So it was a great experience. It all happened very fast. It seemed to happen in about 30, 40 seconds. Um, and I think that it was a great bonding process. I mean, that word's been used a lot. But from day one, from moment one, from second one, I was in on the process of rearing this child. A child who uh, had changed my life, you know, dramatically, transformed my life. Nine months before that, every Saturday night, I would have been in the pub having a few beers and going off to a disco. From this day on, I had passed that stage. There was no more disco dancing. It took me a long time to shed my former image, my former sense of myself, my former notion of what the good life was. It took me a long time to transcend from uh, young male buck with macho instincts to family man who felt that the family came first and I came second. That took a process of years. I would only be spoofing if I said I was immediately a family man as soon as the daughter was born. No, it took me a while. It took me a while getting babies out of carry cots, bringing them in to be fed, changing them and so on. And people say that women, women don't, aren't prepared for motherhood. I can certainly say that fathers aren't really prepared for all the dimensions because the stereotype roles that we wear in grain, you know, the, the, uh, what's expected of us as, as males and as young men and initially as husbands, our partners it is totally uh, ill equips us for the role of father strangely enough I didn't think I w I'd be unable to, to, to look after him or feed him or things like that I mean I was nappy changing actually that kind of was my big concern you know would I be able to do that okay or would I, would I have even the stomach to, to, to be able to do it you know I found it really a, a natural quite easy thing to do I mean, obviously there were times when getting up in the middle of the night that you didn't want to be getting up and changing a nappy when you're rushing out to work in the morning and things like that. I mean, it was difficult. I'm not saying that it wasn't difficult. It was difficult and it did present uh, problems afterwards, you know, about how much time you had then left to yourself and how much time you had then left for each other. That, that was it and still does cause problems. I would have had moments of that, but it, it wasn't severe. Um, and maybe that's to her credit that, in fact, she was able to leave space for me too. Um, but I do recognize where this transition from being two people very close together and suddenly this third person really takes over the mother uh, is a very critical thing. And lots of fathers have great difficulty with it. Uh, 
Um, I'm not being smug when I say I didn't, uh, because that even wouldn't be true. I did have some, and there were moments when maybe I, for another reason, um, maybe I was feeling um, irritated, or wanted to um, score something over her, I would suddenly surprise myself by producing a jealousy reference and saying, oh, you've more time for Owen than you have for me, or you're all wrapped up in the baby now, and that sort of thing. I'm talking about the traditional uh, husband as breadwinner role, husband as man out in the outside world, uh, and, that the f and that the family is basically the responsibility of the, of the woman. There's no way, that doesn't work in practice. If you've got a baby who's only a few weeks old, the mother's exhausted, she needs help. You can't just walk away from that. You've got to get the baby up. You've got to, you've got to try and help wash out bottles or whatever, or change nappies or whatever. And if you're not prepared to do that, and you're glad that's the woman's role, well then, you're still living in the 19th century. Strangely enough, they haven't suggested that it's not a masculine thing to do. But I think they might be a, a little bit amazed at my involvement, that I have, that I do all the things that, in actual fact, that I'm feeding. But I remember at home, actually, you know, uh, I kind of had information about how many bottles he needs and what kind of food he should be taking and not to be giving him this and not to be giving him that. And it was, it was something like, I shouldn't have that information or I shouldn't be saying those things. And it was kind of, it was strange, I think, from, for them to hear me saying that. As regards my friends, uh, it's strange enough there was another man around the same, same time who was having a child, you know. So he, he has played the same role. Friends generally, I, I'm not too sure about what my men friends actually think about my involvement in it, you know. Do they think that, you're, that maybe you're slightly henpecked or put upon or...? Yeah. Uh, I think I, I think they might think that I uh, that maybe I, I I spend too much time or that I'm that I'm being lumbered with something in some way, you know, and uh, I suppose yeah that I I'm being lumbered with something in some way and that I have you know I have this you know an extra burden or whatever you know. <coughs> In fact, it wasn't even important to me ever to have a son. Um, I, I know that um, <clears throat> when little David was born, uh, and a lot of people said, you know, this is great. You've got a complete family now, and um, so on. And I am glad that it is a boy, because I suppose it gives you a different outlook um, it's a change from what we've been used to up to now. It'll probably be a very disruptive change as far as the household is concerned. Um, but only for the sake of change, not because I felt it terribly important that the child should be a boy. In fact, again, my attitude this time was uh, just the same as it had been from the very first. Please, God, let it be healthy, and I don't care what it is. So you didn't have any feeling of it being very important that your that your family name was perpetuated or anything like that. No, I don't think so. Um, I I do have a nephew um, <laughs> who's who's perpetuating the family name anyway. So I've been relieved of that responsibility, <laughs> if indeed it is a responsibility. I've quite strong memories, and even in quite early infancy with him, that his form of play with me um, was was robust and wild and creative and exciting.
and uh, his play with Mary was, was more cuddly, uh, more contained, softer. Um, and I, I think that was something I enjoyed, and I think it was some, that was probably the early beginnings of what you're talking about. Uh, his need, in fact, to express a more masculine way um, of being himself through me, through maybe a more robust or masculine way of, of uh, uh, creating fun, of playing, of being physical. Um, and uh, I do recall that. And I do also recall, as you ask me, um, his later um, need to observe me as a man. I mean, sitting in the bed watching me shaving was a marvellous ritual. I'm not saying my, my daughters have the same. I think they enjoy also watching it. Because I think that um, this role of father, uh, not alone for me, but I think for all men, does include, and I, we can forget this, the need for our children to see a man um, different, see somebody who's different in gender terms and different in every aspect of them than their mother, with whom they're terribly caught up and identified. And they see this relative stranger, the somebody who goes, seems to have a world out there. They don't know where it is, but they know he goes out to that world. Now, I'm talking about a culture where mother is at home with them. I mean, and that culture is changing too. But certainly for that was the experience my children had growing up. And um, for them all, therefore, seeing me doing the things that represented man for them, because they probably said that's what, that's what a man's world is. And so that would have included the things that I did that Mary didn't do, like the, uh, my, the string vest I wore and the different way I washed myself and the fact that I shaved, uh, all very curious with these things. I do recall being, um, first of all, being very pleased that she was a girl. Mm -hmm. um, we now had evened things up, and I now had a female version of us as family. Um, and I do recall... Um, I possibly was able to own my emotional feelings about her more readily than about Owen. How do you mean? Um, talk about her prettiness or how gently was her soft or hold her, cuddle her. And, um, you know, I think there probably were subtle differences in the, in the way... I, I, I talked earlier about uh, the joy I got about playing with him, uh, which would included lots of, of hugging and kissing and cuddling. But uh, with her, um, it was very gentle, and I, I, was, I was conscious of myself that it was a different way of expressing love for her. I was very full of her femininity and the fact that she was woman. In one way, I suppose it's a, a negative uh, sort of uh, relationship because I think they're much more afraid of me than they are of Anne. Um, but also, I think they, they show... They are very affectionate. They show affection very... Um, very easily, and uh, I think that probably um, up to recently they would both be openly very, very affectionate with me. Now I notice that if I um, say goodbye to them at the school gate or at the door, they they don't kiss me anymore. They're beginning to be a little bit embarrassed <laughs> about that. I have a distance from them, which is can be painful for me. And I think it goes back to the very thing you mentioned at the start of this interview, where you talked about the natural closeness between um, mother and child, and that, uh, that, that, in a way, that isn't there for me. And that's true. Um, while, ch while they've had advantages from, in a way, making contact with the world through me, 
I think, a very important medium. At the same time, uh, there comes a stage when, particularly during their teens, when they have to separate and start um, uh, rejecting our standards and us as being the only um, models for learning or for anything else. Uh, and the distance that is there, we almost revert to the distance that was there originally. I notice with Mary, while they may be rowing with her and fighting with her, there's still vibrancy, that they are still interacting in a constant, almost automatic way. Where with me, um, sometimes there would be periods if, if we haven't got common things to talk about, uh, there can be quite great gaps. And I find that very isolating. And, uh, and it's not their fault, but it's suddenly part of something, of, of being a father, I think, where all the time you've got to make your connection with them. It isn't as can't be as assumed on as it is between the mother and them. I would be much happier to see my daughter come and farm it than it not to be farmed. But uh, I don't know. I would like to see one of the sons do it. Maybe because a daughter tends to make her own life and if she does get married it's more natural for a daughter to go the way that her husband wants to go. It, you know, it, it, that tends to be the way of things. But if she wanted to farm, then obviously I would do my best to, to help her into the life she wants to lead. No, I don't think any farmer uh, who's thinking straight would feel he has the right to dispose of the asset. If it wasn't for the fact that I inherited most of this land, I wouldn't have it. Because the, there is no way, even if you were a very successful businessman, there is no way you'd venture into farming with the return on capital invested. You, you just wouldn't do it. And having acquired the asset like that, uh, I feel that I have a, a right to improve it, to add a bit to it if I can, and to pass it on to, um, preferably, as I say, the, the boys, one or both of the boys. Now, there's a problem in that too, because it costs an awful lot to set up even one son, uh, in a farm where he can get a reasonable income. Because it must be remembered, a farmer has to provide for himself as well as the, the next generation. But I always try to look at the situation really for, uh, as clearly as possible, in that the ambitions of most farmers are, are fairly simple. Y you have an ambition to get a reasonable income from the farm, to improve it while you have it, and pass it on to the next generation when your time comes, merely providing for yourself with some sort of reasonable retirement uh, into the bargain. But our ambitions really are very simple, and they don't include disposing of that asset. You can live on the income, but you also have to provide for the number of children you have as you go along, and that takes a bit of doing. Yeah, I think we haven't changed in that attitude in hundreds of years, probably. Uh, if you're around land a long time, you you feel a responsibility anyway to improve the, the, the land and to sort of improve your buildings and improve keep your house up to date and whatever. Now, I'm very conscious of the fact that if I ever gave up farming, I would deny that possibility to my children. Um, because once you get out of this life, uh, this, this farm life, as I say, the next generation are very unlikely to get back into it. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Personally, I would make every effort to encourage the children to get involved in farming and hope to hand over to them. And I would carry it so far 
say that if none of them wanted a farm, I would even attempt to hold it for the next generation in case one of them would. Um, one of their children? Even one of their if I could live long enough. But <laughs> I, rather than cash it in, I just feel that it's so impossible to get back into farming because of the, the, the cost of the whole thing that you're denying the next generation that, that possible right. There was no proprietorial dimension to uh, our wish to have my name on the bird cert. It was purely a matter of justice. I am the father. I don't hide it. I bring her to school every morning. I take her home. I look after her and I read her stories at night when she's going to bed. Why shouldn't she have my name? Why shouldn't she have her, my, my, my wife's name as well? You know, certainly there was no uh, let's continue the family line. I mean, I brought nothing into the world. <laughs> I don't come from a sort of big farmer background. I've no property. Uh, my daughter is highly unlikely to be inheriting a great family estate. So there's no proprietorial dimension and certainly no notion that I want to, my lineage to continue into, into, uh, into the future. I, but, I, but I do believe that it's important that kids just know where they come from and know who their people are because they're ultimately the vulnerable ones. And in school, uh, if you arrive up at, in school, if kids say, well, your, your, daddy is, your daddy's name is such and such and your mammy's name is such and such and you'll go by your mammy's name, why don't, you, why don't you use your daddy's name like everybody else? Then you've got to think of the kids because they're in school for the six hours every day and they don't want to be different. They want to be the same as everybody else. The process in which I became a parent to Deirdre's boys was a long one. Uh, it didn't happen overnight. It involved, because of a separation agreement and a bitter court case, it involved a, a, a necessary move of house. It involved getting a new mortgage. And in the new house, where we all had to set up home, um, I could, I was more relaxed. I wasn't in Deirdre's husband's house anymore. I was in my own home. It was Deirdre's home as well. Uh, it was our home. And the process of we began to develop, that we're all in this together, the five of us. Now, we're a remarkable home in a sense, because I've got my name and Deirdre has her maiden name and my daughter has both of her names and the sons have the, the father's name. So there's five people with four names in the house. So um, we had to bond together. Uh, and I began over the years to, to assimilate into family life. And as, as soon as that process was happening, I began to make more decisions I began to contribute more to their welfare and by that process I began to invest more in them and I began to care for them more. Uh, you know, you take them up to scouts, I mean, and you, and you, 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 you get involved and you take them down to places and just by that process of osmosis almost, you know, they become part of you and you become part of them. <coughs> remember more particularly with the first when um, she had her first period um, uh, I actually bought a flower for her and uh, congratulated her and tried to be very warm with her now she was a bit shy about it 
uh, and maybe a bit surprised at my doing it, but didn't reject it and was glad of it. Um, after that, um, I might hear about her being out of form when she had a period, but I might. It, it's only a might because generally she wouldn't tend to come and tell me about it. She might, would talk to her mother. Um, and I might be left out to that extent. Um, as far as a growing reticence in their part to be open with me in that physical way you describe, um, I think I've been very lucky because I haven't been aware of it. Um, uh, I'm conscious that I have a very warm, close physical relationship with, with my daughters, including now running from an 18 down to a 10-year-old, so they're quite different stages. And I don't think puberty has taken that away. Um, uh, certainly we will uh, still kiss fully and uh, they'll hug me and uh, provide them the good humour with me. But I, d I actually don't think, and yet I know, um, and I've seen friends of theirs who in their teens, in fact, have withdrawn quite a bit and are very shy and unable to be physical with people, particularly with men, say. Sexual behaviour, um, we don't uh, lay down laws as to what to do because that would be useless. They're going to do what they want to do. But they do know uh, from us that we would expect them to be responsible in, in their uh, relationships. Oh, I thought about that recently and I said, gee, that, that is the sort of thing that would worry me. Um, I had visions, in fact, I, I don't know what made me think about it, but it was fairly recently I, I was thinking about this and I said to myself that I could see myself being most unhappy with whatever one of them dragged in. <laughs> and I wasn't at all sure how I'd react to or cope with that sort of situation. I know that um, probably to put the boot in and say this guy must never darken my doorstep again is the worst possible thing you can do um, and uh, I think I would certainly have to keep my fingers crossed on that one uh, it, it is something that um, I would be very um, conscious of and um, it's the one thing that would make me anxious because uh, I suppose with a boy it's different um, because they're going to take some girl away from her parents. <laughs> but if a boy is going to take one of my girls away from me, that's a different matter altogether. I think you have to allow them to be human beings, to be independent people. Uh, you have an input into children, particularly up to the age of about 12. And from 12 on, they seem to develop um, their own ideas and they begin to go their own way. And you hope that the ideas you've tried to bring them up with have uh, such an effect on them as to help them on their way. But you must recognize that they're totally independent people. And no matter how much you love them, you, you still have to allow them to live their own lives. It's one of the hardest things to do. Um, you think they should react to such and such a thing in, in the way you do, but you very definitely have to give them their head to some degree and hope that uh, the grounding you've given them in their young years stands to them from teenage on, which is really the time when they're pretty well on their own, really. From there on in, they're becoming independent people. <coughs>
Fathers all with fathers of their own. Fathers whose behaviour and attitudes they now hold up to scrutiny. My father died when I was 12 years of age, and previous to that, I'd been away for various reasons, up to the age of about four or five. And I think from... I'd, I'd only seen him once or twice in about, say, two years. And then after that, we had a relationship. I mean, he was out to work every day, and then he'd come home in the evenings. And I actually had a good relationship with him, and I'd, I'd go in and talk to him and things like that. But... Uh, he never showed any emotion towards me, or he never... I don't actually ever remember the man hugging me, or... I can't remember him actually showing any real emotion towards me. It was now... I was always doing things for him, or doing things with him, like he'd make me trolleys, or he'd fix things, or he'd show me his books, and things like that. But we, we actually never played together. I can't remember actually playing together, although I'm told that he used to take us to the park. But I can't remember those, those occasions. I feel lost in, in the sense that we never really knew one another, that we actually never, we actually never talked. He never, actually, we never, because of my age, we never actually got to the stage of, well, what do you think, son? Or how are you? Or what, what's going on for you? Or I actually never talked about his life and what was like for him growing up. and what it was like for him as a man and being married and having all, all these children and things like that. I mean, there's so many questions I could have asked him and, and so many things I would have liked to have done with him. Like, I never actually went for a drink for him, things like that. Yeah, I, I, miss, I miss all those things that I haven't had with him. Yeah. At the time, I remember saying it to myself, well, father, my father, I have a son now. You know, uh, yeah, I would have loved him when I was bringing him up to Milltown, you know, for to be for him to be there and see my son too. Yeah, it would have it would have been really nice. My father, I suppose, he was relatively speaking old, um, well older uh, when I was born. Um, I guess he was about uh, thirty-eight uh, when I was born. And he was probably a little more remote from us than I hope I am uh, from the children now. Um, partly, um, in fact, largely, I think, um, because of the fact that he worked extremely hard, extremely long hours. Uh, so when he came home, he was tired. He wanted to flake out, read the paper, um, whatever. And so I think um, he, he just didn't have the time to spend with us. Um, that I like to spend with my children. As I got older, certainly, uh, we used to be able to go down to the local, have a pint in the evening, and even uh, after I got married, I used to call in sometimes, usually on a Thursday evening, and we'd go down to Ryan's Pub in Park 8th Street and have a pint uh, at night, that sort of thing. Um, I don't think we ever got very close. Um, I think my brother was closer to my father than I was. Um, but certainly, um, it, it was something that um, did develop as, as I got older, yeah. And when you became a father yourself, did you, be, did you understand your own father better, do you think? I think so. Um, it's, it's a terrible feeling of responsibility in a way. It's something that you probably don't again think about consciously but it is 
um, it's an awesome sort of feeling that you know we've brought this little thing into the world and we're responsible for it from now till whenever um, and uh, anxious about what it does anxious about how it turns out anxious about um, in this day and age I suppose whether there'll be a job for it to go to um, when it leaves school um, and uh, all like that it's it's a terrible feeling of, of, of responsibility when you stop to think about it. I think a lot of fathers probably don't have, have time to stop and think about it. If you did, you'd probably give up. I had a very good childhood, very happy childhood. I grew up in a place where we all knew one another and had tons of mates. Uh, it was literally, you know, it, the doors were st it was still that part of Dublin where the doors were still open and we went into one another's homes. It was a very traditional working class background, very traditional uh, way of looking at the world. It was very parochial, it was very insular, and the world hadn't really changed uh, for that for that part of Dublin. You know, for since since independence, it was still more or less there were jobs on the docks, there were jobs in the bottle house, there were jobs in Boland's Mill or whatever. And into this world, I grew up where everything was set and everything was ordered and everything was patterned. And I loved my old man because he went out to work and he'd come home and he usually had a few sweets and whatever. And I feared him because if I stepped out of line, he'd give me a wallop. And uh, not much though, not much, I must say. He, he was, but physical punishment was an element to it. And I certainly did, feared displeasing him, transgressing the laws. But he was very fair, he was very encouraging. Um, my relationship with my daughter is completely different. Uh, she's grown up in, for all intents and purposes, a middle-class home in suburbia, where we only know our immediate neighbours, really. Where um, school is a much more liberal place than it was in my time. Um, and where people, where parents have changed in their relationship with their children, more or less, you know, uh, they don't expect children to be seen and not heard anymore. They don't expect children to uh, be good and sort of sit on their hands. There's more liberalism in relation to children, express themselves and so on. My father was very traditional. He walked all his life. And he would have had a very traditional view of his role. His role would have been to put grub on the table and give my mother enough money to make sure that we clothes, shoes, fed. It's very basic. I did the traditional Irish farmer's son. I came home and worked for peanuts, pocket money, for 12 years. Um, he very definitely, while I ran it, maybe to the outside world thought I ran it, he was very much the boss and uh, I did what it was run as he wanted it and he, you know, he paid the bills so I might have used the checkbook. But really until the time that we split up and he retired, uh, he was very definitely the boss. Obviously if you're trying to take out a girlfriend and you've got only a few pence in your pocket, you, you'll resent it. Um, I reckon it was the toughest years of my life. 
those, those years. But I don't resent it too much. I think that it's a price I paid, really, for the life I wanted to lead uh, those, those 12 years uh, working like that. It didn't do me a lot of harm, but I would certainly, to any son coming home now, I would organize an income for them that they could, you know, have a reasonable life. Uh, I think nobody should have to work for little or nothing. And it's unfair if you have to go and ask your father every time you want a pound, uh, you know, to, to do anything. It's much better if you have a weekly income or something like that. I think I have, uh, at least I would hope, I have a closer relationship with my children uh, than he had. Well, again, I was the second youngest of six, and uh, he was a busy man too in his time, but he was a lot older, and I think if uh, you have too many years between you, it's hard to bridge the gap. I mean, a lot of the things I do with the young fellows here, the boys, and indeed Lorraine, uh, I don't think he would have done. There was very much he was the father figure. Yeah, I mean, it's great. I, th I think it's fantastic. Like, they didn't, what I can think of him is waking up in the morning. He's sunshine.